Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is CM Alexander with the news. In traffic, if you're heading downtown, don't. Early this morning, all roads leading to and downtown itself fell into the sewers below the city after a sudden storm and flash flood. If you head down there as well, you'll float too. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King Book Club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Kahn, alongside CM Alexander. Hello, everyone. And Benjamin Graham. Hey, constant readers. And today we are finishing the selection from Rachel Jansen. We are finishing it today, and we have CM leading our discussion. CM, take it away. Thanks, Josh. Well, <laughs> this is so much. It feels like the stand all over again. Yeah. There's so much crammed into the back <laughs> end of this book. It's crazy. Absolutely nuts. And a lot of jumping around. So we're going to do our mm-hmm. best to talk about things cohesively, but I don't <laughs> oh, anticipate we'll jump back and forth as much as the book does. Definitely. I, I kept thinking that listening to this last part that it goes from switching back and forth, you know, maybe once or twice a chapter like mm-hmm. it has to every other uh, sentence. Yeah. <laughs> mid, mid sentence. Mid sentence. <laughs> <laughs> no, and it, it's again, I, I can't remember which of you mentioned this at one point during these episodes. It's astonishingly effective mm-hmm. and cohesive. Yeah. Y- you don't notice it. it. You do. Yeah. It's, so well done. So a lot's happened and a lot is going to happen. So let's kind of briefly recap what we talked about last time. Our last episode, we had that really awesome, cool confrontation between it and our gang at the house at Neibolt Street. And they injured it, but they didn't kill it. So they know that they're going to have to find it and finish it off for good this time. They don't really have a plan yet, though. It just sort of happens to them, which we'll get to. But we finished with a, you know, a true story, a look back into Derry's history with what happened at the Silver Dollar. Of course, this is to remind us that everything that happens starts with this tragedy, you know, all the cycles and ends with the tragedy. And it has ways of ensuring that the town doesn't interfere with its plan and it has influence over adults, even if they can't see it. And I don't think I really caught on that that's what these stories were, a device to, you know, un- undermine our security in our characters about how successful they were going to be. But I love how that stacks up against them. And you're kind of coming to realize this as it's going on. Yeah, there's nothing scarier than the scenes in this back half. They should be safe, mm-hmm. that there are people around and it does not help because the people trance-like either mm-hmm. wander away or just don't notice. Yeah. We're in the present day, still in the library with Mike and all of our friends. And he calls an end to their meeting. He points out that they all need to be really careful because it is going to try to stop them. But there's also another force, one that was there when they were kids, and that force might still be here today, and it definitely wants to keep them alive. And then he says something that I only picked up on on my my second time through this part. He has hope still because they all showed up, 
And he thought that maybe like two or three of them would just be gone or dead. They'd be taken out of the picture and including Stan (laughs) (laughs) and what ends up happening Two of their circle. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And it could have been three, but for what Mike did before <laughs> Henry That's Eddie, crazy. I did not notice that at all. Just wicked foreshadowing <laughs> this whole book. <laughs> it's amazing. But we'll we'll get into that in more detail later. But for now, they're all gonna part ways, but not before their hands all start bleeding. It's so that's so great. What a wonderful moment. And it gives them the chance to rejoin hands like they did the very first time. And they feel that power surge. And then they think they remember everything. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just love the way that that goes where they feel that rush. And then all of them look at each other and like, we remember everything. Yeah, we do. And then Mike's like, oh, I'm not going to tell him. Yeah. Everybody's <laughs> looking into each other's eyes, like making eye contact. So they clearly can't remember everything. <laughs> They would not be able to look each other in the face. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they also hear a voice, or I think it's Bill hears a voice whispering in his mind as the circle is closing when they join hands that this is the ritual of, I think it's pronounced Chud. Chud. They pronounce it Chud. I always pronounced it, uh, reading it the first time in my head, as Chud. Yeah, I, <laughs> uh, I see it and I hear Chud in my head, which is a different thing. <laughs> but yeah, I think because it has umlauts, right? Yeah, it's umlauts, yeah. so it's Chud. Chud. And also that the turtle can't help them. And then the library, crazy shit starts happening in there. Books are flying off shelves. Mm. Doors are slamming. The typewriter starts typing itself and it's typing bills. Uh, what would you call that? His, his mantra. He has, his... he has mantra. He thrusts his fists against the post and still insists he sees the ghost. And, ugh, sorry, this is gross foreshadowing, but as as this thing is completing itself, ugh, I said completing oh, it. no. <laughs> They're all horny. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I got that. Bill was horny. I didn't really get the horny vibe from everybody else. Well, Beverly's described as air humping. <laughs> yeah, she does like it describes her bucking her hips. And oh, you're like, right. don't do this book. <laughs> and Bill remembers that when Stan cut all of their hands with the Coke bottle, that was the last time that all seven of them were together. What whatever happened throughout the rest of the years however long they stayed in dairy, they just never quite could all get together again the way they used to. And he feels like now this is going to be the last time again that they're all together, all six of them. And despite this feeling and Mike's warning that it can be anywhere, anytime and pretty much do anything. He stays behind in the library to clean up and write in his journal. (laughs) The fact that any of them split up ever (laughs) is insane. Should have gotten one big room with one big bed. Bring sleeping bags to the library. There's a fridge there. (laughs) It's got a head in it. All of them sharing the same bed. Wouldn't that make them all really uncomfortable? They've never done anything (laughs) like that before. Right? Right? Oh, Ben, I have some news later. Oh, no. So only two of them are smart enough to stick together. But it's not for safety. I was about to say, it's, <laughs> the motives are a little different. I was sad, though, as as Beverly and Bill are walking off. And they did invite other people to walk back with them. And Ben is looking after them, sadly. And Bill's thinking, yeah, it should be you. But don't worry. This isn't about fucking. It's about love. And we all love each other. So 
It, yeah, it all rings a little hollow. Uh, but hey. Uh, well, have, I don't, how do you finish? <laughs> I, I don't hey, know. Big Bill's got a big bill. Big Bill's got a big oh. bill. The, um, but the amount of times that it is mentioned that it should have been Ben. Like the first time I was like, yeah, I agree with that. And then like the second or third time someone kind of insinuates mm-hmm. that. I'm like, yes, we're all on the same we're page. All, it should be Ben. believe this. So as they are walking back to the hotel together, Beverly opens up to Bill about her father. I It's not words I'm intentionally choosing. They're all gross, though. Uh, Bill finds her sadness extremely arousing and tries not to give her a boner hug. Well, this keeps happening. (laughs) You've clearly never hugged a crying woman. Uh, It's very erotic. No, it's people in this book... D- are not bothered by crying during sexy times at all. <laughs> and in my experience, usually an ending point. <laughs> so, so, yeah, something has gone wrong. Something and it needs has to be gone stopped and wrong. addressed. Okay. I hate to say this, but how many women have cried with you guys? <laughs> Save that for a bonus episode. Yeah, don't worry about it. Oh my god! Okay, who says it was the woman crying? <laughs> Come on, CM. Yeah. Uh, um, I don't even know how to move forward. Okay, from this point on, we jump back and forth, like we said, mid, literally mid sentence, from now and then, and it is the day of the confrontation, back in 1958. They had all been playing in the Barrens, and everyone has kind of broken off for lunch, going their own ways with the plan to come back together afterwards. And Beverly goes home, and both of her parents are supposed to be at work at this point. But when she gets there, it daddy, Papa it, no, Papa no, is take it again. <laughs> anything else, literally anything else. Okay, so. You know, if one of us had said it daddy, you would have burst into flame. <laughs> That's why I had to do it first. That's, I had to, that's a I real had to good take point. The power. That was a this is the ritual of truth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, let's talk about what happens here. This is uh, wild and horrible. The speed at which this conflict takes off is insane. Mm-hmm. Beverly no more walks into the apartment than her dad grabs her and throws her across the room, says that he saw her playing with those boys. And wants her to take off her clothes so he can make sure she's still intact. Do you guys think he actually saw her playing? Or do you think he was made to see something else? Mm. No, I think I think it sh- led him to see them playing. I mean, you think that was enough just that she yeah. existed there with boys? Because I wondered yeah. if it was taking him there and also kind of feeding him false information and showing him... Something more yeah. than what was happening. I think it shows. Oh, there is no denying we all know where Al Marsh's head yeah. is in relation yeah. to his daughter. Mm-hmm. I don't think he needed any more evidence than to see her around yeah. six boys. Okay, but that's when she she looks into his eyes and she sees nothing there, and that's when she knows that this is her dad, but it's also definitely not her dad. Papa, it. Yeah, Papa, it. <laughs> And that he's, and I love that it phrases it that uh, it fills hollow places, which is just a great example of how empty her dad is anyway. In such a disturbingly childish moment when he says, take off your pants, I want to see if you're intact. And because she's not doing anything yet, 
she can't even understand what he means. She's yeah. like, it, it, the words don't register. Yeah, she thinks she's going to take off her pants and her leg is going to fall off or something. <laughs> and then she's going to be hobbling around the room. This part, the her imagining herself hobbling one leg around the room with her pants half off and her dad chasing her burned into my brain. Weird. <laughs> I mean, we've been over it the whole book so many. It, it's amazing how small some of the moments that mm-hmm. are forever seared into my brain are that are things that I've thought about for years, like Eddie uh, dunking the sac- uh, the sacrament into the toilet. <laughs> uh, it's literally like a paragraph, mm-hmm. but I will never forget it for some reason. <laughs> so Beverly escapes after being very thoroughly thrashed by her father, but he is right behind her. And as he's chasing her on the street, again, in broad daylight, nobody seems to notice, she runs past a kid, and the kid sees her dad turning into a spider for just a second, and it gives him (laughs) nightmares forever, as I would also have. (laughs) But that's also a great nod to, is this, man, like, what what is the rule here? Is this actually it in place of her dad and not actually her dad at all? Or... Does the this bodily possession? Yeah, I think like, it's more spiritual yeah. than anything. Mm. I, I don't think it is physically in her dad. It's just the aura of it is so present that the kid sees something. It's got its stink all over him, like <laughs> <laughs> like like a puppeteer. Like you he really have a way with a words bit. this episode. So yeah. <laughs> Thanks. So Beverly does manage to elude him after a pretty gnarly chase, but unfortunately she ends up escaping him only to be spotted by Henry Belch and Victor. And we are going to take a moment to learn about how Henry's day has been. And if it's okay with you guys, because we we get more of this later, I just want to cover this all right now. Go for it. Because it's fascinating and mm-hmm. horrifying. So we find out that Henry has been losing his mind Basically forever, but recent events, you know, the the caressing of Patrick, which would probably drive anyone bonkers, has has really sent him over the edge. That's the title of a memoir, though. <laughs> the caressing <laughs> of Patrick. I don't like it. When you repeat it, it's worse. <laughs> but that, that kind of sent him over the edge. And this morning, his mind has completely broken. He wakes up. In his disgusting Roland LeBay <laughs> underwear. It's the only way I can yes. describe these. Goes out to the mailbox. There's a little gift for him. Yeah, in the mailbox is a large ivory-handled switchblade. And he he takes it inside. And uh, a lot like Patrick with his brother holds the knife at his dad's throat for... A long time. While the voice of the moon whispers to him. And finally he presses the button. Is this weird? Does this make me sound horrible? It was nice to see Butch Bowers die. (laughs) Oh, for sure. (laughs) It was great. Okay. It was the... uh, (sighs) It was really the Butch waking up Mm -hmm. and having no idea what was happening and Henry just casually watching him try to figure out what's going on before he dies. And Henry's like, yeah, I nailed it. And we did, we skipped this in the last episode, but we did get a little more insight into their lives and just Mm -hmm. what 
their day-to-day is like and what this house is like. And it's just a really horrible situation. And it's just all gross. Uh, So the voice of the moon has a message for Henry, though, telling him that about noon, he needs to be on the corner of Kansas Street and Costello Avenue, which is when Beverly happens to run by after escaping her dad. So just like Josh said, the speed that all of this happens is really um, riveting. Like from here to the end of the book, it is a page turner. Oh, yeah. Like you cannot stop because it, it's just like it, this chapter starts. It's just like, okay, today's the day <laughs> we're going. Beverly is running down the street away from her father and immediately runs basically right into Henry. And t- yeah. Oh, there's basically enough time for her adrenaline to wind down from the chase with her dad. And that's why she's in this state. She doesn't notice mm-hmm. until it's too late that they're right on her. Do you guys want to talk about the chase or do you want to cut back to Mike at the library? Oh, let's cut back to the library. Uh, oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. Let's kill the tension. Like the <laughs> does. No, actually, it doesn't kill the tension at all. It makes yeah, it you, worse. <laughs> you would think that. Like, it would get frustrating mm-hmm. having it constantly get up to this, like, boiling point, And then the book says, fuck you, and cuts <laughs> away to 20 years later or earlier. Yeah. It's It I'm, doesn't get old. And I'm fascinated that we have, like, this wonderful example of that. And by the same author, a bad example of that in Dreamcatcher. <laughs> it's just fascinating to it, me. It, it kept making me think, like, why does this work so well where Dreamcatcher didn't. I can tell you. It is because in this book, from very early on, in the very early chapters, there's a handful of things we know. We know that all of the kids and Henry survive childhood, Mm. and we know that Belch, Patrick, and Chris all die. All of these details that would... We would be disappointed if we like we want to know how this confrontation ends. Well, we know they we know that this isn't where this mm-hmm. happens because several chapters ago we got Henry talking about Frankenstein tearing the two friends apart while they were in the sewer. Mm-hmm. So we know we've been given the endings of some of these stories, and now it's just seeing how we get there. And it's done so subtly that I feel like we we know we're building up to it, but mm-hmm. we're not like, oh, God, keep going, because we know where it ends. Yeah, it has less of that making it up as he goes along <laughs> yes. energy that Dreamcatcher has. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And it takes a lot of talent to give you that picture and then walk you through it in a way that's still engaging. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So we are going to cut back to Mike at the library before we get this chase with Beverly and Henry. He's been cleaning up and writing in his journal when he realizes that he is not alone. I forgot about Henry entirely. I had to. <laughs> so as he's he's hearing footsteps come across that bridge from the adult to the kid's library, and I'm waiting to see what form is it going to take. And I see the he sees the blue jeans, and he sees the dirty shirt, and I like he immediately is like, that is an older, fatter, but still Henry Bowers. Mm -hmm. He can still see the 12-year-old maniac in this grown man. And I lost my mind because I forgot this happened. (laughs) He does something very smart here, and I didn't 
pick up on what he was doing until actually, Ben, I remembered you making fun of Henry <laughs> for constantly for not learning his lesson about charging in. Yeah. Every single time. Yeah. Every single time. Because Mike is very intentionally egging him on in this verbal <laughs> confrontation <laughs> that they're having. And Mike is smart enough to grab a weapon. He gets a, a free letter opener he got from someplace and arms himself, ready, ready to fight. Yeah, so he he gets Henry to charge at him like Henry always does. <laughs> and he puts out his foot and he trips him. For the third time in this book, he gets tripped while charging. And I also, I thought this was kind of sad, although I don't really have sympathy much for Henry. But Mike is telling him, you don't have to do this. I'll call the cops. They can take you back to Juniper Hill and you'll be safe because you'll be out of dairy. Mm -hmm. Henry's thinking to himself, he doesn't articulate this. But he's like, I, there's nowhere for me to be safe. Cause he hears the voice of the moon mm -hmm. in Juniper Hill. Yeah. He, he can't escape this. And it, it made me think about it's reach. Like we, we keep talking about this. Sorry. Well, I keep bringing it up, but it's just so fascinating because we've had the discussion of, okay, what power sent them away? What power made them forget? What power gave them good lives? Because mm. there's the turtle and there's Pennywise. Uh, I guess it was Pennywise that did all this. It has a reach that knows no bounds. I think <laughs> once it has, yeah, once it has touched the lives, I think mm -hmm. it, has a, it has a further reach. Makes sense to me. Henry nearly kills Mike. He does puncture his femoral artery and Mike is starting to bleed out. But fortunately, he calls... The hospital and this was super sad he hears pennywise on the other side just being horrible but he's smart and he's like if you're there i can't hear you something is blocking me from hearing you i'm at the library this is my canlan i'm dying i need an ambulance yeah. this real 1408 stressed yeah. me out so bad <laughs> yeah because first of all i did not remember fatalities yeah of the whole book mm -hmm. i remembered one death the really the one death we get, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. But I thought more people died. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't remember that either. And when it, when this happened, I was like, oh my God, I forgot that Mike died. <laughs> <laughs> I was struggling to remember if he survived this or not, because I could not remember. Also, just I'm terrified of knife attacks, I guess. <laughs> I, I started saying that as though, oh, here's a fun little fact about me. <laughs> I don't want to be But stabbed. also, I think everyone is afraid sure. of knife attacks. <laughs> oh, no. It just the the idea of bleeding out alone yeah. is very scary oh, to me. Oh, horrifying. Or alone with it. Mm -hmm. He's like, you don't want those to be the last words or the last voice you hear. But Mike is saving his own life pretty much when he uh, uses his belt as a tourniquet. And he breaks off half of the letter opener inside Henry. Mm -hmm. Which is horrible. <laughs> horrible. Probably. It's very horrible. Very horrible. <laughs> horrible and awful. Yes. Probably saves Henry's life, though. Because oh, yeah. that letter opener is the only thing keeping the blood in. <laughs> like, people that, yeah. in movies, they always take the thing out and then they bleed out. Leave it in there. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> We're So Mike does survive, but we don't know that yet. We're going to leave him having called the police and we're going to catch back up with Beverly. Henry grabs her. And this is also everything from this part we're covering is just disturbing. But <laughs> this is horrible. He grabs her by the hair. An old woman tries to intervene. And Henry, while never letting go of mm -hmm. Beverly's hair, 
accost this woman and like attacks her car and she runs off. There was a guy on his porch who just goes inside to ignore whatever's happening. And Bev does what does the right move here and kicks him right in the balls. Uh, Once again, that's (laughs) three trips and two kicks in the balls. I believe so. I was really hoping we would catch up with Henry in the future and he would start having the same problem all the losers have been having, where old wounds start (laughs) just like he's walking along and he's like, I've been stabbed, and also my balls hurt now for some reason. Oh, man. uh, As we we see the old injuries circle back, I think that's why why Mike broke it off. It's It's not like in the center of his stomach. It specifically says it's in his lower abdomen. Oh, where and the balls are. If you if you get kicked in the groin, your groin hurts, but also the, those muscles in your lower abdomen fucking hurt. Full fucking circle. So I feel like that was a, a subtle way of, well, we can't have him get stabbed in the balls. That'd be <laughs> too hilarious. <laughs> we'll, we'll give him the same thing if, that you, it, the injury you'd have if you had a severe groin injury, that feeling. Uh, the intricacies of the male body. <laughs> We're sponsored by Manscaped. <laughs> so we're going to jump back away, away. Well, not back into the past, but away from Mike and, and Henry and everything. And we are with Bill and Beverly. And I am going to try to go through my notes in a way that makes sense because I can see me working this out in my notes <laughs> I can't as wait. I'm like reading the chapter. I really had to set aside how pissed off I am at Bill during this whole act to mm-hmm. figure out, okay, is there an actual purpose? And of course there is. Stephen King's not an idiot, but what is the purpose of the story other than to piss me off? And so, because <laughs> I was like, is this just, you know, like, oh, we got to come full circle. Everything has to be parallel and match what happened in the past. And these two, these two loved each other the most. So it makes sense. They're going to love each other the most again. And like at the end of this, yeah, that's basically explained to us that that is why this is happening but it sucks as bill cheats on audra with beverly yeah and he thinks about it like what he's doing he, yeah i i came into this scene because i remembered it happened mm-hmm. i came into the scene wanting to defend it because we defended it with johnny and sarah from dead zone and i remembered that and it, yeah i still stand by that defense uh, me too mm-hmm. the difference here is that while that relationship was because they they were taking something that was stolen from them. Mm-hmm. And yes, they had a relate they could have had a relationship had all of this not happened and, and that life was stolen from them. Sure. But the fact that pretty much uh after Bev comes so hard she almost dies. <laughs> Jesus. Bill like goes, Oh man, this should have been Ben. <laughs> like that is almost I was like go fuck yourself and then the like very next sentence after that is thinking about Audra uh in England yeah, doing she's this so movie far away. and he says oh she don't know don't hurt her I was like fuck you Bill man that it sucks I wanted I wanted to yeah. have your back in this moment but you were just so haphazard afterwards Well we all we know that Audra risked her life And, well, she doesn't know she's risking her life, but definitely destroyed her career knowingly Mm -hmm. to chase after Bill. Not to chase after him, but to support him because she knows something terrible is going on Mm -hmm. and she wants to help him and be with him. And so... Oh, 
Also, one, I'm sorry to cut you off. The other thing about this that makes it different from the Johnny Sarah is they spend the night snuggling in bed together afterwards. They spend, like, the Johnny Sarah thing happens, they snuggle for a bit, but then she, you know, they get up and yeah, you know, she's have like, I'm married. And, and they go. Is, yeah. Uh, this is so intimate. And they talk about, well, they don't talk about it. Bill thinks, oh, we might do it again in the morning. Yeah. Oh, fuck God. You. Fuck you, Bill. <laughs> and while this is happening, and I don't know if this is sort of like a, a jab at them, but Beverly didn't go back to her room. So she doesn't get mm. Kay's message. Yep. Which would have been useful. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, no, it wouldn't. <laughs> it wouldn't have changed anything. No, that's true. She would have had no way to figure out where Tom was. And and it's harder to be as mad at Beverly because she's like, hey, just so you know, before they actually do the deed, she's like, my marriage is a sham. So I have no guilt or shame. I am not cheating as far as I'm concerned. Oh, yeah. But this you is not are. on Bev yeah. at all. Yeah. No. Do you, she's like, you would be. I don't want to make you do something that you'll regret. And he's like, well, my wife is thousands of miles away. So <laughs> it don't matter. It's the same. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, you fuck. You fuck. <laughs> so we're back with Beverly running from Henry, Belch, and Victor. And she's running through the Barrens to the clubhouse. And I love the way this plays out in my mind, like this awesome action sequence when she gets down there. She's running through uh, through the Barrens. And as she approaches, Ben is already in the, the clubhouse. It's mm-hmm. Ben, right? Yeah. Yeah. Eating and playing music. Yeah, just hanging out, (laughs) having a chill-ass day, it sounds like. But as she's, like, running at it, she sees it, like, poke open. Mm -hmm. And he, like, sees out and, like, sees her running full bore at him and throws the door open. She slides in just in time and is like, shut up, shut up, shut up. We have to, and explains what's going on. And the, the guys, when they find this clearing... Belch, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is waiting as Victor and and uh Henry are are searching around this clearing, is waiting sitting on top of the the door. <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> he has no and like they, they can hear him talking to himself. Like he made a joke <laughs> as they ran off, and he's repeating the joke and laughing at himself. <laughs> and then he farts on the door. <laughs> Which is just it is a really childlike moment that it happens and they both grab each other so as not to burst out laughing. Yeah, Beverly has to bury her head in Ben's <laughs> arms so that Great. Belch doesn't hear her laughing. It's such a cute childlike moment in this very horrifying chase. Mm-hmm. And just just to point out, like we get bits here where, I don't know, it seems like Beverly and Ben do have this special connection. She mm. feels safer with him than she does with anybody, even though her and Bill kind of have more of that romantic connection. And she thanks him for the poem. Yeah. Which I thought was really cute. Oh, she never, she didn't ask him. She just said, yeah. thanks for the poem. And he's like, what poem? It wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, Ben. Shut up, Ben. It I was like you. how she's like, don't ruin this, man. <laughs> yeah. I loved it. Don't, don't make it weird. Yeah. <laughs> so we are going to cut back again to present day. We're with Henry. He's leaving the library, stumbling down the road. He hears ambulance and he's, well, he hears like the sirens and stuff and he thinks they're coming to get him. And so he's trying to hide. And then he realizes, oh, they're going to the library. Ah, shit. Like, well, hopefully he died, you know, right after he made the call. (laughs) He's pretty confident that he's, he's dead. 
But also at this point, Henry has completely mm-hmm. lost the plot. I thought he was just going to like bleed out on the street. I forgot what happened. He instead gets another gift from Pennywise. It's Christine's twinner, you guys. That was right? fucking cool. <laughs> yes. This is very reminiscent of the scene in Christine in New Year's Day, too. Extremely. Yeah. A, a red 1958 Plymouth Fury pulls up and his dead friend Belch is driving. And there's even a bottle of Texas Driver in the glove compartment. Yeah. <laughs> Just a nice <laughs> nod to Christine. And there's something else in there that is very important. Oh, it also happens to have the room numbers for where all of the losers are staying in the Dairy Town house. Yeah, so we can find them. Also, before they're all out. over that hotel. Yeah. I didn't imagine the Dairy Town house was that big. Well, Dairy's kind of blown up yeah. since they were kids. Yeah. But for some reason, calling it the Dairy Town house made it, does, feel made it small, seem like yeah. a house. I, yeah, Dairy Town house makes you think like it's a bed and like breakfast. the place yes. from a uh, from. You're looking at my books. Yes, I am. <laughs> Joyland. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But no, it's it's apparently five stories tall, yes. and he decides to start at the top with Eddie's room. Such a great start at the top, work my way down. That was a very tense moment when we get the room numbers, mm-hmm. and we're wondering, like, where is he going to go? And then we realize, oh, Eddie's, Eddie's on that top floor. Oh, I just want to point out that in this drive with Belch, you know, Belch's face is halfway ripped off, and Henry remembers that Frankenstein mm-hmm. did that. And... Henry tries to apologize. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and his his apology is like, hey, man, after you and Chris got murdered, I got real lost. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says it with a tone of like, that's the apology. I've had I a hard time, too. too. <laughs> so we cut back down to 1958. Everyone is coming together in the Barrens because Ben and Beverly realize they can't just wait down here in the clubhouse because they kind of have an advantage. They know that those guys are out there, but their friends don't know that Henry, Victor, and Belch, why are their names so hard for me to remember, <laughs> are, they could be ambushed by them because they don't know what to expect. So in during this time, Henry has heard this voice kind of telling him what to do still, and, and it tells him to wait and to watch. So he calls Belch away, and the three of them watch Ben and Beverly from a safe distance come out of the clubhouse and then they follow them as they are running to find Bill and Richie and Eddie and Stan and Mike. And I just thought that Henry's like, I was looking for a goddamn treehouse. Oh, she yeah, was he's below super me. Mad. He, was, he was so <laughs> mad. Um God, this is and this is where we get to we really dive into one of the hard truths about dairy. We talked about it at the kind of the top of the show. Everybody's kind of gathering back up. There's a great conversation with uh, with Eddie and Stan and Richie about religious food choices. Yeah, that was very beautiful. funny. <laughs> uh, then Bill and Mike all meet up and they're heading to the Barrens, and that's when they notice that Dairy's really quiet today, mm-hmm. and all kind of piecing together that nobody has given them any regard. Even Eddie's mom, who normally would say would be yelling at him until he was out of earshot. He was able to walk past her and leave the house with no argument. It's like they're ghosts. Yeah, and and this leads to the realization, and and we're kind of cutting back and forth here, but ultimately that you know Bill is trying to explain to them 
they have to go down into the sewers. Okay. They have to confront it. And even though they're not prepared, this is their only option because at this point, nowhere is safe. And he's mm-hmm. pointing to what they've all noticed about people. And they've all had, you know, their weird experiences. And Beverly was, as she's running from her dad, she's thinking, I have to warn them. Are all their parents going crazy? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just terrifying. Is this where, where Bill is saying that, like, if they don't do it now, then something is oh no this is when they're adults because the this is jumping ahead (laughs) where he's saying if we don't do it now the cops are gonna find us and there'll be an accident and it's kind of the same thing and yeah they don't say it or articulate it that way but that's the reason why this happens why this has to happen from like this whole last part of this book we are basically getting the same story told twice yeah, with the same conversations, the same themes. And rather than, you know, feeling tired and and like, yeah, yeah, I get this. It's <laughs> it's so perfect. It's yeah. The the echoes of what is happening and the the parallels between Hen- what Henry is doing in the future and in mm-hmm. the present, what Tom is doing yeah. Once we get to him, it's nice that the what makes it stay fresh is that the overall end game is the same going down to the sewers to fight it. Mm-hmm. But the stakes are so different mm-hmm. from yeah. their child, the child version of the story and the adult version of the story. Yeah. And so be, before they go down, they are going to put their stuff because they brought down games and stuff to play. They know they're going into the sewers today. <laughs> they're going to go to the clubhouse, put their stuff away. That's where Henry and everyone is going to see them and start chasing them and really drive them into the sewers. You know, Ben has the idea that we need to find that Morlock hole that Ben saw that one day. But we are going to cut away from that with Eddie opening his hotel room door because Henry is like, message from your wife. (laughs) (laughs) Which that would work on Eddie. A hundred percent. Somebody else might be suspicious, but Eddie doesn't need to ask. I think he asks the name and it says, he's like, oh, they didn't give me a name. They just said your Wait, wife. Just so. Hey, why didn't Henry just say, yeah, Myra, when Eddie said, is it Myra? Yeah. <laughs> Henry's not too bright. Let's talk about the confrontation between Eddie and Henry because it is wild. Eddie is a badass. Yes. Eddie yes. has become, I, I mentioned in an earlier episode that the first time I read this, Richie was my favorite mm. character for reasons I can no longer remember or justify. <laughs> um, but Eddie, I think, has usurped him. I, I Every time he does anything in this ending part, he just kicks everyone's ass. <laughs> yeah, he really does. Yeah. He's a full-blown hero, this whole last section. They, they, they uh, mention a few times that he yells like a barbarian. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's just so great that of all of them... Eddie becomes their <laughs> strong man. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely, we'll get to this, but they definitely all participate much more as adults than they did as kids, which mm-hmm. is interesting. So Eddie reacts very quickly. Thankfully, he slams the door on Henry's arm with the knife in it, and then he drops a switchblade. Eddie kicks it under the TV, and then they have this scuffle, and Eddie ultimately shatters a a bottle of seltzer water into Henry's abdomen. Yeah. And After slicing his fucking eye open, ooh, yeah. let's not glance over the fact that his <laughs> eye was slit open Did by a glass to, bottle. Did you mean to say let's not glance over the fact? <laughs> no, I didn't. That's what you said. That's what came out. <laughs> yeah, and then he buries it in Henry's 
abdomen. And he falls on him in Eddie's arm because it's broken. Yeah. And they're kids. Along the same break mm-hmm. uh, that it happened as a kid, breaks his arm underneath him. Man, think if like something really horrible happened to you and you're watching all these things repeat and you're like, oh, fuck, no. (laughs) Don't let that thing repeat with me. (laughs) Well, at least when he was a kid, he got to go through this whole thing in a cast. Not so lucky this time. No, not at all. He so he calls Bill's room and he's telling him like, hey, Henry's here. He's dead. I killed him. And he realized he realizes before Bill picks up, though, that Henry he only got the upper hand because Henry was already beaten up. So who else did he visit? Yeah. Which is so horrifying when they they don't mm-hmm. know. So Bill answers and he and Beverly come up. And then a lot of jumping back and forth here. But do you guys just want to finish out this hotel room yeah. scene? Okay, yeah. Let's talk about when Bill and Beverly get to the room. They, they call everyone else up and, and they're just trying to figure out what to do. Uh, Bill splints, uses like sheets and stuff to splint his arm because they can't go to the hospital or call anybody because, mm-hmm. as Ben, you just said, something, some accident will happen if other people in Derry get involved. Uh, I think Richie searches for the knife and Eddie's like, nah, man, it's gone. I kicked it under there and it is vanished. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh Bev searches. Because oh, she's yeah. the one who wants to, she's like, we need to call the police. We just need to tell them what happened. They're like, yeah. yeah. They'll arrest us and then we'll die. <laughs> and that's, they know that it's it's started and they have to get going right now. What I love about this moment is that they don't know, but we as readers know that back at the library, Mike had miners' hats and flashlights yeah. for them. Oh, he had so all the prepared. preparation, he had blueprints, he had of the blueprints, <laughs> and everything. And just like when they were kids, they have to go in with no preparation and no help. Yeah, all their plans just totally ruined because mm-hmm. bev calls the calls mike's home oh, man and he doesn't answer his home? the, the <laughs> well, library she, she calls his home first, oh, first. yeah <laughs> but then she calls his home the library <laughs> and a cop picks up and then there's there's a very tense conversation because he's like who is this she's like who's this and <laughs> she refuses to give her name and they find out that mike's in the hospital and then Richie calls the hospital pretending to be a reporter. Which is great. <laughs> he gets so into it. Yeah. He starts like <laughs> miming writing stuff down. Yeah. And- so they find out that he's alive, but his condition is not entirely stable. Mm-hmm. So we are going to cut back to the Barons. Bill's just explained, of course, that there's nowhere for them to go. They need to leave when a rock comes flying out and hits Mike right on the head. Henry has made his move. And so Bill's like, Ben, you got to take us there. And this whole time, Henry cannot get over the whole rock fight thing. Mm -mm. Every time he sees them in any timeline, he's like, oh, you like to throw rocks, eh? What do you think about me throwing rocks? Just so irritating. It's because he lost. (laughs) It was a pretty humiliating defeat. Yeah. Eh, get over it. (laughs) (laughs) So they get to... The hole, and they are making their way down. I, I love the standoff here mm-hmm. as they're entering the sewer. Uh, they climb down into this Morlock hole, into the pumping station, and Henry starts climbing after them immediately. But it, uh, <laughs> just like the rock fight, they just pelt him with shit until he's like, fine, 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 fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and climbs back out, and there's, there's this standoff. With the Henry and his gang unable to come down and them unable mm-hmm. to come back up. 
And so Eddie leads them down into yeah. the pipes. Because Henry starts, they all start throwing rocks at them down in the sewer. So they, they need to get out of the way. So we're going to leave them for a little bit. And we're going to see what Tom is up to. Tom and Audra's parts, these next two parts. I love this. This is so fascinating and cool. Which one of you want to tell about Tom? Um, Tom dreams he is experiencing Henry's childhood mm-hmm. through, in the sewers in the sewers and killing his dad. He's seeing it first person and he, he uses all of the same things like hearing the, the moon and mm-hmm. uh, he in seeing the moon balloons guide him through the sewers, which is also great that all these little details are how we know Henry in the bully story. Since we don't yeah, have a chapter from their point of cool. view, we can piece <laughs> it together from all these things. And uh, he wakes up and it tells Tom that Bill and Bev had sex and that uh, he just, you know what? How about you, you? We know where they're coming, Tom. Just get down here before they, they get down here. You know what? I've got a plan. Trust me on this. And boy, howdy, does he have a plan. Which takes us to Audra, who's also been having a dream. And her dream is that she is Beverly and she is running through these dark tunnels. What? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, So there's a moment before it's revealed who's who she's experiencing this Mm -hmm. as. And by the way, the note I made was because it's all about she... uh, Audra is seeing Bill as a child lead them through and how much she loves him. Do you think and it was would, Eddie? Yes. <laughs> and specifically because of the line of, uh, I would die for him if he asked me to. And that's something Eddie has said multiple times. So mm-hmm. I was like, this is Eddie, either Eddie or Bev. Oh, man. <laughs> and then it was revealed as Bev. I was like, man, I wish they'd left it ambiguous. Yeah, <laughs> well, it'd be cool. Like, if I was going to dream about being somebody, I'd want to be a dude just to see what it's like to have a... A dong. Not all it's cracked up to be. Yeah. <laughs> so Audra's experiencing some of, of what happened. She's getting insight into to what was going on. And she wakes up terrified, of course, doesn't know where she is. And I'm sure everything would be okay if there wasn't a light suddenly on in her bathroom <laughs> and the door handle rattling and a voice. Fuck this. <laughs> Fuck this. She is like freaked out from this dream and it's that feeling that we all know from waking Mm -hmm. up from a nightmare where you're just disoriented and she thinks she hears this voice and at first she thinks it's this voice in her head. It's this dream voice. But then she thinks very clearly, no, that came from the bathroom. Mm Mm-hmm. And then she dicks around for a while. <laughs> well, she she has to call her cheating husband. And this this was sad. She she gets a number for the townhouse and the clerk rings his room and she's picturing him like in bed with the covers pulled up to the top of his head and how he would reach for the phone. But then the phone keeps ringing and she starts to get nervous and it goes back to the clerk and she's like, are you sure that was the right room? And he said, well, yeah, because he just got a call like five minutes ago and the light was on. I saw that he picked it up and had some sort of conversation, apparently. And she's like, it's a woman. But what a strong person, Audra. She's like, I can't worry about that right now. I have to get to him. We have to get out of here. So she's going to put a pin in that. Crazy bathroom stuff cranks up. The voice is threatening her. And so she takes off to get to her car, unfortunately. In a full-on panic. And doesn't notice that Tom happens to be... Well, even if she had, she yeah, wouldn't know who he is. That's true. <laughs> and uh, and Tom, Tom gets her. 
Yeah, and he's like, hey, haven't I seen you in the movies? <laughs> Creep. <laughs> <laughs> this is when we cut back to Eddie's hotel room and, and we get all of that stuff. They mm-hmm. splint in, they call everyone, and they decide, okay, we got to go back down to the Barrens. And so they, they take his limousine. They go in style, <laughs> which is pretty cool. They take that as far as they can, and then they're on foot, and... And they get to the manhole cover. There is a nasty surprise there for Bill. Yeah, the cover's already been pushed off, and that seems suspicious. So they move it, and under it is Audra's purse. Yep. And as they were, as Bill and Beverly were going up the elevator, they heard his phone ringing. Oh, and it was yeah. Audra. Yeah. Ugh, so many missed that. opportunities. So we're going to cut away and we're going to have the perspective of it. That I, I fucking I completely yeah. forgot this happened. <laughs> I. I've said it before on the podcast. My favorite parts are always when we get the villain's perspective. Mm. This is fascinating. Getting this inhuman perspective of what's been happening. And it's it in 1958. Mm -hmm. And talking about how it had always been. And it believed itself to be eternal. Mm -hmm. And that now this pain that it felt in Kneebolt Street it thought was impossible, but now it's afraid of these kids that are coming mm-hmm. for it, but still believes that, you know, let them come. I'm going to kill the shit out of them. <laughs> yeah, we find out it really did lure them back because it knew about their oath. It knew everything and it knew that they would be weakened and that they it had no choice. They were going to come back no matter what, but it feels like it has the upper hand, the advantage over it. It also acknowledges that the turtle exists. It was just mm-hmm. it and the turtle, but the turtle's dumb and probably dead or going to die. And it doesn't want anything to change. It just, and again, I think it is lonely and sad. It just wants to sleep all day and eat and watch soap <laughs> you operas. You know what? <laughs> I mean, who doesn't? <laughs> but in this moment, what it made me think of, Patrick Hoxtetter. Mm. It is the same sociopathic yeah. oh shit uh monster that Patrick Hoxtetter was mm-hmm. all Patrick Hoxtetter was was for things to remain the same and <laughs> it would do he would do anything to keep things the same that is it being paralleled with Patrick which is That's, really it's cool. So cool it's a great point it, it also has the this section mentions something that becomes very important at the end which is the reason it was able to be hurt on the house on Nebel Street is because it had a physical shape mm-hmm. and things must adhere to the rules of their physical shape mm-hmm. which becomes important in the final showdown yep and and we get mention of the deadlights here too which anybody mm-hmm. who's a fan of this book and has seen you know the movie and show know what that is that's i i, I argue love... if you've only seen the movie and show you have no idea what the deadlines <laughs> are uh, you can figure it out <laughs> do you i well the deadlights are kind of explained later it it gets real <laughs> trippy you guys <laughs> it's been a while since i've seen all of them but yeah yeah so it's late afternoon we're, we're jumping again so it's we're with the kids because they go in in the day and the adults yes. go in in the wee hours of the morning and we are in the tunnels and of course all we have all our our friends have is just a 
package of matches that Beverly has been keeping dry somehow. So that's all they have, matches and their wits. And Eddie, of course, being the one who's very good at directions and knowing where things are, Bill tells him to lead them to where that they to where they need to go. And I love when they come to the intersection, there's like three tunnels and there's one that's clearly just the <laughs> shittiest tunnel. He's like, it's that one. <laughs> The whole time we're, we're going to be talking about them as kids, they hear Henry and the others, and eventually just Henry, just continuing to come after them. He does not let up. Screaming like feral. This is what's great about this section ends with them hearing the screams of the Frankenstein incident mm-hmm. and everybody but Henry dying. So from here on out, every time they hear Henry, they're sure he's right on their path. We know, because we've heard Henry explain it, he was lost as fuck. <laughs> yeah. He was just running around yeah. screaming to nowhere. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> they also run into Patrick's decomposing oh, body. Gross. Which, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and which ways are they supposed to go? Over it. Yeah, they have to step, oh, oh God. God. Just trying desperately not to step on it <laughs> slash in it. Blech. And and we come back to it in present day, and it knows that they're coming. Of course, it knew they would. We find out this is where they it drew them back to it. This part's even better than it, the first one, I think, <laughs> because of how, like you said, it drew them back. Mm. It brought them back. It even brought a Georgie back, which mm-hmm. is Audra. And but Josh, are you okay? holy shit? I love doing the show with you guys <laughs> because I get. My mind blown with Patrick <laughs> and the Patrick and it thing that Ben just said. And then you just gave me the Audra's Georgie and my mind is exploding. <laughs> I love doing this with you guys. What were we saying? She was saying about that. She brought a that uh, he brought a Georgie. Oh, yeah. I liked the, this it in the 80s uh, mm-hmm. even more because of the confidence with which it brought them back. Followed by the immediate realization that I fucked up. <laughs> like, <laughs> what point was it that it was like, I, I was so sure there were, there are fewer of them. They're old people it, now. There's no way they can do this again. But then it realizes at a certain point, like, oh, it's, uh-oh. It's this, the final battle when it realizes that. Because yeah. everyone else steps up too, whereas before, and we'll get to that, but it was primarily Bill as the leader and the strongest one. So this is really cool because, you know, Bill's freaking out too. Like we're realizing what's going on with Audra. Bill is freaking out. And like when he freaked out after the refrigerator incident in the junkyard and he's screaming about Georgie and all of his friends have to rally around him and support him and say, yeah, we, we've got your back and we can get through this together. It, it just strengthens them again. And I, I feel like it strengthens the others even a little more than it strengthens Bill. This is also where we see through it how it broke Audra's mind and Tom mm. Tom sees its true form and just bleeds dies. out of his eyes and dies. Yeah, he, his brain bleeds what in like wiener. five or six places and dies. I do this goes back to your argument. This doubles down on the it just wants to eat, sleep and watch soap operas because <laughs> the line specifically says it does not dress when it's in its own home. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Same. It's in its house coat. It's got curls in its hair. Oh, you guys I love it. <laughs> And we also, so Audra's in the deadlights now, and this is where we find out too, through it, which I thought was just kind of a neat bit, why Mike is afraid of birds. And like, duh, all of this makes sense, but I didn't realize because it's plucking the fear out of people's heads. And we find out that Mike is a baby, so he doesn't even remember, got attacked by a, a bird when he was in his 
crib mm. outside. And it like it knows that because it took that from him, even though he doesn't know that. It's like, oh, dang. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, that is so cool. See, I, I believe in an earlier episode we established the body never remembers. No, oh, that's <laughs> right. The body never remembers. <laughs> the body never remembers trauma, so there's no way. <laughs> and as right before Audra loses her mind, though, she has just enough time to think, oh, dear Jesus, it's female. I forgot it was female. I hated that. Mostly because that's a big, mostly because that's a big moment for Stan. That's the, when their kid stands, the one who yells that mm-hmm. and notices it for the first time. So I was kind of bummed that we got that reveal here it as opposed to when we sense, get it with though, Stan. It makes sense because I was thinking about this. We get so much more from everyone else, but even when we could get more with Stan or from him, you know, in the flashbacks, we don't. Stan is sort of this like nebulous idea on the outskirts of our our minds. It's yeah, it's just interesting. Mm -hmm. Everything is kind of taken away from him. Yeah. Oof. Sorry. That got got (laughs) sad. So Bill present day is charging thoughtlessly ahead in these tunnels after Audra and they're all struggling to keep up. But I love that Richie is like, hey, you fucking asshole. Wait up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we're gonna get lost they find chris in belch's bodies which is so creepy because the bodies of children obviously mm-hmm. because they died as children but just pointing that out is so Ugh. so creepy because we we're just with them yeah it's so mm. and and they come across patrick and it's just like his teeth now yeah. in this like mess of decomposition because it's wet down there so things happen differently but bill is sure that audra is dead and that's where they all kind of rally around him and give him comfort this is all exactly the same (laughs) as before so we are going to go back to our group as kids they are we find out that they are a quarter of a mile underneath up mile hill and it's weird because there's no need for sewage pipes down this low. Like so, Eddie says, when you make a sewage pipe that's this deep, you don't call it a sewage pipe. You call it a mine shaft. Yes. Which is my nightmares. Yes. Uh, just Getting stabbed like, and being in a dark, close tunnel. B- being lost <laughs> in yeah. caves in, in a sewer. Ugh. Scary. All right, guys. It's time for a mini boss battle. <laughs> Roll for initiative. All right. Okay, got a 20. So, <laughs> right? You <laughs> like, nailed it. I know, D&D. They all hear a sound. And Richie, just thank God for Richie. He's like, I know what that is. That's the crawling eye. <laughs> it, this is the second time that this has become Richie's role, almost. Mm-hmm. Because is he was the one that created the werewolf yep. in Nebolt Street. So what is it about Richie? Is it because of he his, saw the, he his went to the movies, acting? I think. Yeah, or mm-hmm. his his comedy <laughs> aspirations, his creativity, I guess. Yeah. That makes it so he can stick it into I I always got the impression that Richie was the kid who always went to the movies, who always saw the double monster feature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, the, I, this scene is so cool because it, it, this horrific, gigantic eye, as they're lighting, you know, their few matches and seeing this thing coming at them, appears and it has like tentacles and it grabs Beverly by the ear and Ben's trying to help her. And it's dark, so Bill like accidentally slaps the <laughs> eye in the eye. <laughs> and I love uh, that he's like, oh God, I got my hand in the eye. Like he's super grossed out. Wouldn't you be? Yeah. Oh no, I would totally uh, be, but it's just funny to read. Is, I think this is the first of at least three more times that Ben will or that Bill will punch something <laughs> and go into its body well, and be so grossed oh. out he almost 
starts. It starts to suck him in, and he's like elbow deep. He's fisting this eye, <laughs> and it's about Wired. to. <laughs> he doesn't know how to keep any body part to himself. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's about to suck him in completely. I'm glad you like that, Ben. <laughs> that, was, that was good. And he's like screams sort of this like death scream. And Eddie realizes Bill's in real trouble. And so he grabs his inhaler and he's like, fucking battery acid man and so he comes at it with his inhaler and they all then start fighting because eddie do you guys want to talk about eddie's like hero moment he 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 makes this decision the battery acid decision and he runs into battle and he look he stares at the eyeball and he yells battery acid fuck nuts (laughs) and blasts him and it screams and then he starts kicking it and he's like guys it's an eyeball. You can beat the shit out of it. And if I can do it with one hand, you can do it with both of yours. He calls them pussies. Yeah. <laughs> he literally does that. And then, so so Richie, because this is his conjuring, he's like, oh man, this is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. But I got a man up. And so he goes over to the eye and he does this like weak little punch at it. And as soon as he makes contact with it, he throws up on it. <laughs> And then then it's so gross that he threw up on an eyeball that he throws up again. Thinking about what he just did makes amazing. (laughs) But because it was his monster, his truest, greatest fear, even though his hit was really weak, it does the job and the eyeball retreats. So they continue on all the while still hearing Henry, they think behind them, but he's not. (laughs) And they're feeling intense waves of fear and despair. And Beverly realizes, okay, we need to come back together. We need to reform the circle. So they all join hands. They're all linked as they continue to make this journey. Now they're fighting this fear and despair that they feel. Another mini boss battle. Stan screams that the bird is coming. And so we have this huge bird. And I can't even imagine, like, the the tunnels must just be changing and opening up. Yeah, they say that at this point they've stepped into a cathedral-like chamber. Oh, yeah, with walls that are, like, a hundred hundreds of feet high. And the walls are radiating a light. Yeah, they, they posit that they're not really underneath Derry anymore. Mm-hmm. They are in an in-between place. Some place that is not really Ugh. in this world world as such of course i'm getting like gunslinger vibes survival Mm -hmm. vibes Uh, one of you want to talk about the bird showdown the yeah the the bird swings down and attacks and stands saves the day by stepping in front of eddie and (laughs) as it's charging saying you can't exist and it breaks the bird. <laughs> he has it the easiest. His, his bird knowledge. <laughs> but the fact, because he has so much bird mm-hmm. knowledge, the power that he can say, you can't exist, hits it. <laughs> but I love that it's not just that, he's not just saying like, I don't believe in you because things that aren't real can't exist. Because he has this big spiel where he lists off all of these birds. He says, I believe in sparrows. I believe in eagles, I believe in flamingos, and somewhere out there, I think even a phoenix might exist. Yeah. But you don't, so fuck you. <laughs> and that is so amazing that he's like, phoenixes? Sure, why not? But put a dragon out there, that might exist, but you? Fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cool, too, the way they have to defeat 
these manifestations very much reflect who they are. You know, Stan mm-hmm. is very adult and stoic and he doesn't have to punch anything. He just <laughs> defeats it with the power of his brain. But of course, Richie's like the goofy, silly guy. So he'd get this hilarious comedic ending yeah, with the eyeball. Yeah, uh, slapstick yeah. fight with a big eyeball. So they're in this huge room and they see a... This is very revival, too. They see a small door in this huge wall. And I love they see the symbol on the door, but they all see something different. Like their brains interpret it to be meaningful for them. And Bill sees a paper boat, Stan, a phoenix, Mike, a hooded face, Richie, eyeballs, Beverly, a fisted hand, Eddie, the face of the leper, Ben, the mummy's tattered wrappings. And later it it says Henry, when he reaches that door, he sees a full moon. I think it's really funny that all of them shows something that is extremely personal to them. Mm -hmm. That is uh, something to do with their life. But then Ben is just really fucking afraid of mummies. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone else is like, this thing that I'm afraid of has some deeper... I see a boat because it represents the death of my little brother and my mm-hmm. guilt in the... I see a fist because let's not talk about it. <laughs> ben, what do you see? It's mummies. They're yeah, fu- they freak me out. freak me out. <laughs> so Beverly says, what if it's locked? And Bill says, doors like this are never locked. Great line. Which is going to be repeated verbatim yep. in the 80s, which is cool. <laughs> and so they walk through the door... But we are going to cut back to them as adults. And this is when they, you know, they're in the tunnels and they're realizing Beverly's like, oh, shit. You mentioned that you told Audra the name of the town you're going to. I also told Tom. So they realize that he's playing Henry's role. Mm -hmm. They have to form a circle again because they're in these dark tunnels. They're all like it has constantly been telling them you guys are too old now. And they know it's right. Like they are too (laughs) old. (laughs) But there's still power in their circle, even though it's really, really diminished. And none of them can quite remember its true form or how they defeated it and ultimately escaped the tunnels. And so everyone except for Mike, who's not here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're going to take a brief detour uptown, like literally (laughs) on the surface of Derry to see what's going on there. Because as they're continuing this journey, things are happening above them in Derry we're going to visit some old timers. It, it's cool. Josh, you mentioned loving this part. It's people who have experienced things relevant to the story. Yeah, <laughs> I just thought that was cool. They all sense that something is wrong, kind of like when the Bradley gang thing went down and the stuff at the silver dollar. They all have that similar weird feeling again, mm. but they can't quite figure out what's going on or put their finger on it. So we're going to go back to the tunnels. Still present day. Going to have another mini boss this time in the form of Georgie. Of all the mini bosses, one armed child is pretty low on the list of severe uh, mini bosses. Oh man, I don't sure, know. If Children it's a are Mega terrifying. Man game, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Georgie comes out and is yelling at Adult Bill. You know, you killed me. I trusted you, and they realize this is kind of the perfect attack because only bill can fight this and he's he has the sense or the impression that all of his friends just left him as soon as georgie showed up and he draws parallels to his parents abandoning him when georgie died and that was (laughs) gut-wrenching but luckily bill has a tongue twister mega man is a one-armed child yes anyway yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> I, I got the I got okay. the joke. So he does his chant and he defeats Georgie. And about half an hour have passed, and we go back up to Derry. It's starting to rain, even though that was not what was forecast. And other things are going wrong. Should we go to the splatter meter? Let's hit the splatter oh, meter. Absolutely. I love the splatter meter. <laughs> okay, we're going to get a little bit, and then we're going to come back to it a little bit. Oh, later. warming up the splatter meter. Yep. So a power transformer explodes and catches a Tracker Brothers depot on fire. One of the responders to the scene accidentally steps on a live wire and gets her electrocuted. An underground explosion knocks a poor woman off her toilet and kills her. <laughs> that was just unfair. And another lady who was washing her hair in the sink was nearly decapitated and she died. The kissing bridge is struck by lightning. And, and then uh, Paul Bunyan's... Uh axe head later yeah yeah that there's i have more <laughs> i have more later too because there's a lot but for right now we cut to mike who's waking up in the hospital and he has a visitor this scene fucking rules because i thought we were kind of done with mike mm-hmm. but it sure isn't <laughs> he possesses one of the nurses to come in with a syringe and the plan is to take mike out altogether the guys in the sewer all sense Like, we need to join hands and send whatever power we have to Mike right now. And they do it, and there's this surge of energy, and and Mike sees the nothingness behind this guy's eyes. A nurse that he knows who this person is, Mm -hmm. and he feels that energy, and he can move. So he grabs the, it's what, the pitcher that's next to his Mm -hmm. bed, or a glass, and bashes him with it. (laughs) And he realizes... The same thing they realized as kids. He's hitting the nurse call button. He mm-hmm. says, I could yell for help, but conveniently no one will hear me. And it's at that moment where he attacks the guy that kind of breaks the illusion. And that's when he hears footfalls coming down from the nurse's station. It's so yeah. awesome. And he realizes, and they realize in the tunnel that that's going to keep happening. Mm-hmm. And so they really need to get a move on it to protect Mike, too. Yeah. And so they find the door again. They have the same exchange this time beverly sees tom's face bill sees audra's severed head eddie a grinning skull richie paul bunyan and ben sees henry bowers and they all you know have that same conversation and go in the door so as soon as they enter this place now they remember everything although when beverly and bill were doing their thing in the hotel room (laughs) she remembered (laughs) she's been with all of them we're we're gonna address that but do you guys want to talk about you know, they, they finally understand why Stan did what he did and why he made them all promise to come back. Because now they know. Not only is it female, but... It's pregnant. Whee. Oh, boy. That is... Uh, I do like that... I don't like. But it, there's the moment that's from Ben's perspective that when he sees it and remembers everything, he thinks to himself, oh, Stan had the right idea for just that moment mm-hmm. because it is... The place is covered in these horrifying spider webs, and they see it descending in its spider form. An egg sac. And it's, yeah, it's got the the egg sac, and its, like, stomach is distended, and, like, it could give birth at any moment. Okay, so here's the thing about its true form that doesn't quite add up to me. Okay. Because as... Uh, when they see it, they see it as a giant, unspeakable nightmare spider. But much like when Richie and Mike saw 
uh, the vision in the smoke hole, it's not. Mm-hmm. It, it is only a spider so far as that's what their brains can show them. Mm-hmm. Because its true form is they, they can see almost behind its vi- uh, it, its form. Like a mirage. Yeah, like a mirage. This orange light. It, it is actually some being made of some otherworldly unspeakable light energy or something but it also definitely spins spider webs (laughs) (laughs) well because that's i think it's not the form that just the losers could comprehend i think it's the form that anybody who can see it that's the i this form would not change depending on who was in the room because Uh, it's the same form that audra and tom and those people saw because it doesn't dress when it's in its own home and I feel we established that things must abide by the physical form they take. Mm. And because it going back to kind of what you said with they the they couldn't place what it was because they saw pure light crash into the earth. And that's madness. You can't explain that. Right. So because this is the closest form it can take that can be comprehended on the physical plane. It just it it abides by those spidery yeah, it's, laws. It's kind of trapped by its need to feed. And it think, has to have that physical form to feed. Okay. Uh-huh. And I think yeah. it, it mentions it's a very offhanded thing that in the very beginning of the chapter from its perspective, it mentions that uh, the thing that enthralled it was how delicious imagination made its food. Specifically so. children's because it's hard to like take the form of a late mortgage notice <laughs> and scare people. Yeah, but Adults I, have real fears. Kids yeah. have like these wild fears. So you think that it's it, it, in order to take its first form ever, it had to start with a very basic fear. And I feel like spider is a very basic human fear. Yeah. Okay. This is the point where we are completely paralleled time-wise past and present so the the kids are in in this chamber with it and so are the adults and so we are going to have this ritual of chewed play out simultaneous for us the reader so the first first one 1958 do one of you guys want to if you can <laughs> like yes. how do i even have to describe i, I will what's try going my on? best because okay. this is one of my favorite it's probably my favorite it, and bit. People really got to read it just for all the oh, wonderful detail yeah. we can't I, cover. It, this is definitely something you have to read because it it um, relies so heavily on like the Lovecraftian mm-hmm. angle of what you are. What the book is describing is not literally what is happening. Mm-hmm. It is all metaphysical. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> So they enter and they see it's this spider and Bill fucking beelines for <laughs> because Bill is still uh, kind of a hard ass. Mm-hmm. He beelines for it and makes eye contact with this thing and it is like, bring it on <laughs> and launches him into nothing launches his mind yes he doesn't realize but that yet also <laughs> yeah his uh, his friends still see him standing there yes. but he's also not there but <laughs> also this void is a literal place right because when they go back into 
in the, the adult time, mm-hmm. they actually start walking back into this void. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> he he launches like a bullet, Bill, into the this blackness, and Bill is senses that the goal it has is to take him so far out in the universe that he breaks through into whatever is next. And breaks the communication and connection with the rest of them. Yes. I couldn't help but think of Revival. Right, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. That breaking through into Mm -hmm. this other world would be very similar to seeing a bunch of ants uh, (laughs) uh, harassing souls for all the time. The way way you say that just doesn't do it justice at all. Ants pranking people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Full Just doing some interstellar ant pranks. I thought, (laughs) Jesus. Uh, The tragic part for me of this though was when bill realizes that it's trying to break that communication because the turtles there kind of kind of guiding him but being a turd about it and he's (laughs) like oh if i reach the point beyond communication i have passed the point of salvation and he's again relating that to what happened with his parents when georgie died like once Mm -hmm. that communication is gone that's it and he realizes that these two entities out in the void of eternity, that the their goals are very clear. The turtle watches, it eats. Mm-hmm. Those are its jobs. The, the turtle is not going to help him, really. Yeah, the turtle's like, hey, man, don't blame me for this. I had a tummy ache and I threw up the universe. And- <laughs> that was my bad. <laughs> I forgot that we have a literal conversation with uh <laughs> one of the guardians of the beam which is yeah. pretty cool. pretty fucking rad <laughs> so bill's in this mental tongue biting ritual with it and he's winning and the turtle is warning him that he needs to finish it because what can be done now might not be able to be done when they're older because he you know time is meaningless he knows what's up and so they ultimately hurt it and it begins to retreat and so bill is trying to tell them you know because everybody's like yeah we did it we killed it and he's like no it's not finished we need to go back but then the web is coming down and that is creating a huge problem that i'm like i get it i get why they didn't finish it. Oh, the the fact that like it's collapsing and they say some of it falls across Eddie's cast and burns mm-hmm. uh burns patterns into the plaster. Ugh, it's an acid web. Yeah. Reminded me of the mist yes. movie. One hundred percent. God, when do we get to cover the mist, guys? It yeah. is it's on the yeah. list. Ah, couple cool. books. So we are going to cut back to present day. We are in our grown-up ritual, and Bill and it are having a chat. And it is telling Bill that the turtle is dead, and they're too old. Like, it keeps telling them they can't do anything now. So we're actually going to cut away from Bill to Richie, who sees that the same thing that happened before is happening again. And he's looking up into the web, and he sees (laughs) Audra, and he's like, oh, fuck. Please don't let Bill see her, because... Shit's gonna It'll get be fucked all up. over. Yeah, and while this is happening, they all hear Bill scream in their minds that the turtle is really dead. Bill is losing his faith, and so Richie's like, "I'm feeling jokey this time. Like before, <laughs> I wasn't. I think I can handle this." 
And uh, he's going to take a more active role in the ritual, which is really cool. Completely surprised me mm-hmm. that this time it's Richie who steps up and, and is the backup. And I, I like the description of that the ritual of Shud, they said the tongue biting, but it's not literal. It biting into the mind is mm-hmm. what's happening. And it, it's so that's such a perfect term for this because you can feel when they launch these these attacks latching into mm-hmm. this one-on-one combat that stays it, it has its own rules between mm-hmm. them and nothing can break that and he's in the void with bill and this reminded me of what i felt like Dreamcatcher was trying to do when uh, henry and pete were running back yeah, through, running time. through the dream catcher mm-hmm. so they're doing their best and they're they're trying to not be launched you know too far into this they're trying to come back and Eddie steps in and he's also going to take part in the ritual. God damn. Uh, Who wants to break everyone's hearts? This is so great because in the, the kids story, everybody has their roles to play, but for the confrontation with it, Mm -hmm. where it's pretty much just bill that takes on that final round. And this is the illustration of why it's so important that they were all there because they are all they're all necessary because that the power they have when they were kids is diminished so as adults it takes all of them working together to muster what just 11-year-old Bill could do and he he realizes that the two of them uh, Richie calls out for help says he's losing it and everyone's kind of frozen so grabs his aspirator and go it worked last time why wouldn't it work this time? <laughs> so he charges and he sprays it in one of the eyeballs and its eye melts out of its socket. And he he shoves his arm down the throat of it and sprays it down its throat and reflex its jaws uh. clench and it tears off Eddie's arm like at the shoulder mm-hmm. and then throws him aside. Fucking brutal. Yeah, and he basically dies in Beverly's arms of blood loss and probably shock. My note says, Eddie feels himself running into the universe. Is how he <laughs> describes that massive yeah, trauma and, and shock. the fact that as he's dying, he has this moment where he says, and if he, he feels that he could preach on the subject, mm-hmm. and what he would say is, not bad. This yeah. is not a bad thing. And it is so, like you said, heartbreaking. Yeah. And then he tells Richie, I hate it when you call me Eds. And he reaches up and he touches Richie's face. And he's about, he's like, and I have this other profound thing to tell you. I'm dead. <laughs> he <sighs> he just goes before he can say anything else. Um, and I, I don't want to undercut this moment of sadness, but we're back at the splatter meter. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, no. <laughs> Sorry. More like the sadder meter. Yeah. Aww. <laughs> we're back up in Derry. So all of the stuff is going on. The winds have been picking up and it looks like they're actually going to have a, a unexpected hurricane. The power's going out. Tree ban- branches are destroying buildings. Lightning strikes the steeple of the church and destroys it. And we didn't talk about this, but we got this whole thing about how the clock did not chime in 1958 and it's not chiming now. Also, the, the clock tower is the twinner of a <laughs> uh, clock tower in a small town called Haven. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> later... Such oh. a great moment. 
we get a cameo from Haven <laughs> yeah. in a few minutes. <laughs> also, we're, we get to see Boogers again, the kid who is telling Eddie what sex was. Boogers <laughs> Yeah, he's he's just trying to do his work, clean stuff up, and get his drink on, and all of his beers explode into fountains of blood, and he decides, like, I'm out. Like, I'm out of dairy. I am <laughs> leaving. Mr. Nell, oh, Mr. Yeah. Nell has a stroke and dies, and it's it's like a kind of a sweet moment. We, we realize, you know, what we thought. He's he's one of the good adults in dairy. The mall just kind of explodes. Yup. No one's in it yet, so it's not a high body count. Did it explode? Not why it exploded, but did it explode because it's the side of the Kitchener Ironworks? Probably. That also exploded. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It Everything has to be yeah. parallel. Yeah. No, that's a good point, too. Oh, and Eddie's childhood doctor gets decapitated by a manhole cover. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Comes bursting out of the, uh. the street. Okay, so we're leaving the splatter meter. Cut back. Uh, what was the... Is this... Did the bank explode? Oh, yeah, the bank explodes. The, the bank explode. I only bring it up because we get to meet, Re- what is her name? Rebecca Paulson. The woman who in the Tommy Knockers electrocuted her husband to death oh, with her children. Yes! I forgot. Oh, my yes! God. Uh, she picks a few $20 <laughs> bills out of her tree after uh, in Haven after okay. the bank explodes. I, I got distracted by that detail because I thought that was referencing when the lady found a kid's head stained with chocolate in her tree. <laughs> mm. <laughs> That's funny. I knew that name sounded familiar, but I could not place it's it. It's funny. The Stephen King wiki only has that character existing in the short story mm. that was adapted into that segment of the Tommy Knockers. Oh. Weird. Uh, so I had to like think really hard and be like, that actually happened in the Tommy. <laughs> <Rogers, right?" laughs> Sorry, I got really serious because I just realized what's up next, and I know we're gonna have things to say about it. But I want to, pre- I just want to share some information yeah. to kind of guide our discussion. So we're cutting to back to the kids, nineteen fifty-eight. They're lost in the tunnels. They've kind of defeated it. They've at least sent it very injured and scattering back somewhere. So. Many people refer to the scene that is coming up as the child orgy scene. And since we started this book, again, I'm leading it. I'm like, I'm going to have to talk about that. How am I going to do this well? How am I going to address this? So I found an article where Stephen King shares his thoughts on this specifically. And I thought it would be easier to share his perspective since he's the one who made this thing happen. (laughs) (laughs) And then that can kind of free us up to move on from it and, you know, say what we want to say about it. Sure. So they're lost in the tunnels, and Beverly has this intuition, this knowledge that their purpose, having been fulfilled or mostly fulfilled, that's now over. Now the power that has brought them together to do this thing is fading, and with that, their connection is fading. And unfortunately, they still need that power and connection to get themselves out of these miles of like underground tunnel that's not even necessarily in their own world. And so Beverly has a way to an idea to unite them all again, even if just for long enough to get them out of this place. So she starts to undress and she explains that they need to come together again. And starting with uh. Eddie, oh Jesus, God, I need to, <laughs> and starting with Eddie and ending with Bill, they each have sex with Beverly and it works. It's enough to rebond them and they escape. So here's what King has said about this, at least in one source within the last couple of years. And I'm sure he said more like over the years about it, but this is a scene that's highly questioned and criticized. Um, So I want to point out real quick too that when I first read this when I was a kid, I was surprised, but 
I accepted it. It's like, okay, yeah, they all have sex. (laughs) (laughs) I think the issue here is that when you read it as an adult, you're reading about kids having sex. And and this is more a commentary on society in general, not necessarily on Stephen King for having written this. But there's just too much, too many terrible things that happen to kids for me to feel the same way personally as an adult reading this when I was a kid. I think that's part of where that upset comes from. Yep. So King has been quoted as explaining that when he wrote this, he wasn't thinking about the sexual aspect of it. What he was thinking about was this being the act that connected the childhood to the adulthood, because this whole story is about connecting those two threads together. And he refers to it as being another version of the glass tunnel that connects the children's library to the adult library. Which is really cool, but don't think about that too hard because it's also really gross. But he said that times have changed since he wrote that scene, and now there's more sensitivity to those issues. And at some time later, when this statement was repeated back to him and he was asked about it, he's like, yeah, that sounds like something I would say. But I would also add that it's, you know, I find it fascinating that there's so much comment about this single sex scene and very little about all of the multiple child murders. And so here's where I come to because I I get his point with that. Our society, like even with adults and sex in movies and sex between women and even women being shown enjoying sex or orgasming, we get really upset about that. And we will give things like a rated X. And in the following scene, someone will be like decapitated. And that's not what bothers the censors. So For sure. I, I do I do get that that's his, I mean, he's an unapologetic horror writer and he's already destroyed our minds with the Patrick shit (laughs) with the baby brother. So I can sit here and say that as an adult woman, like, yeah, I don't want to read about kids plowing no more than I want to read about any of the other shit he put in this book. So I, I don't know. It's, I can, I can understand his statement and his willingness to use every tool at his disposal to bring this tale of horror to us. And I can also not like this part. And both of those things can be true at the same time. And that's kind of where I land. Sure. I mean, I'm not going to use this a goofball podcast to make an argument for or against, you know, cancel culture and like (laughs) all of that big stuff. I will say that that argument of, oh, you know, it seems so weird that we do, you know, people are upset about one sex scene, but there's so much violence that argument rings so hollow in this one particular instance because they're 11 years old. If if this were if this were us making a big stink out of the sex scene between Bill and Beverly right. as adults, mm-hmm. which I mean we kind of did, but she was cheating, so fuck him. <laughs> anyway, no, I see it, what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. it's that's what it's, that's what that's makes very it hard different to accept. To, yeah, from. Oh, we're so, no, we're not dis, you know, uh, desensitized to violence in this case. It is 11-year-olds can't consent. And I think that's Mm -hmm. a pretty reasonable thing to be like, this is gross. I kind of wish he would have just been like, oh, fuck, yeah, that was weird. Yeah. (laughs) And and moved on. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's really all he had to do, in my opinion, was be like, yeah, I... I could have worked that out some other way. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, perhaps I have the hottest take on oh, this gross. issue. No. I don't, don't say know. it like that. Don't I, call it a hot take. I don't care about this scene. Okay. It doesn't bother me. It it's not it doesn't it doesn't elicit a response from me. 
it's just it's a it's a thing that a couple of fictional characters happen to do and I, I kind of agree with King on the there are way more disgusting things that happen in this book than this scene that is the from the way I read it the intention is pure the execution is not as Ben said 11 year olds can't consent even two mm-hmm. other 11 year olds brains don't exist that way but uh, it's it's one of those things that it's seen that is a product of its, t- its time while also being problematic. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it just doesn't. Uh, I think I think the reason it doesn't get it doesn't affect me is because of how many articles when the remakes were coming up. It'd be like mm-hmm. the scene that's not yeah. going to make like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we get it. It's it's a very You're tired of hearing it's, about it's Yeah, it is. Nothing new can be said about this scene because mm-hmm. it's a say. gross scene. But it's like you said, there's no. It doesn't not make sense in the book. Yeah. I think the discomfort for people is more, I don't like it, but I get it. And so you're sitting with your own discomfort of kind of accepting that this happened. King puts you in a weird position, which is his job. And yeah, he maybe could have done it differently. Yeah. Well, and how many times have we talked about, we have to remind ourselves these are 11 and 12 year olds Mm -hmm. because of the situations they're in, because of the maturity with which they act. It is very easy to forget. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, those those moments. So I also wouldn't be super surprised if King wrote this scene, forgetting the age <laughs> he'd set them, and thinking, you know, it. You know, and that's that's why I like having these conversations with you guys because the three of us are sitting here, all being respectful of the material, yeah. not being shitty about it or shitty about King, but having slightly different. You know, like we're on. We've covered the spectrum. I think of yeah, responses. I think so. And I think that's kind of cool because I know people are going to feel all kinds of different ways about it. So anyway, that's how I'm getting through and this scene. And all those feelings are valid. Yeah, absolutely. So that's how I'm getting through this scene. If you guys want to email us and tell us what you think, cool. But let's uh, let's move on to what happens next because they are bonded again and they are going to get out of the tunnels. So yeah, should, let's uh, finish up the kids stuff and then we'll wrap up what happens to the adults. Sure. After they reconnect... Eddie, there's a moment of silence because remember, they're all in pitch blackness. They're dead silent. And Eddie's like, oh, three tunnels ago, we should have taken a left. <laughs> and then before that, it should have. Oh, fuck me. Follow me, guys. And then they uh, don't fuck me. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and they all link back up because Eddie's just easily solved the, the problem. <laughs> and they make their way out uh, back through the Morlock hole. And without discussing it, Stan walks over to the banks, grabs a bottle, and they all just watch him smash it down and sift through the pieces and grab them. And he goes over and Bill is the first person who steps towards him because Bill gets what's about to happen. Mm-hmm. And they slice each of their palms and they stand in the circle and they Bill makes them promise that if they didn't kill it, they will come back. They all promise. And it, there is a part that I like, too, where seeing Stan sift through the glass and find this piece gives, I don't remember, is it Bill? Gives somebody like a weird feeling. It's, uh, yeah. It's they, more ominous than mm-hmm. the act that is happening. And that's, you mentioned it earlier, that's when Bill realizes this This is the last moment the seven of them mm-hmm. were all together. Sometimes there were four, sometimes there were six, but there were never all seven again. Mm-hmm. All right, so we come back to the adults, and Eddie has died. Beverly is cradling him. 
they're having their their last bits of battle with mm. it. Uh, ben is walking through this tunnel into this void. Mm-hmm. Like the way it is described makes it feel like if you walked for a trillion miles, <laughs> you would walk off the universe. Yeah. But he's been walking along, finding these eggs and smashing oh. them open. God, so and good. almost, he, he says he's almost driven to madness, breaking these eggs open and then having to hunt down the spider that crawls oh out and smash it before his match gutters. And this is hurting it too. Like they're all kind of together. I mean, Beverly's with Eddie, but yeah, that's nice yeah. that she's with him. And Bill and Richie are continuing the chase because Ben is Ben's the one who offered to stay behind and make sure because if a single one of these mm-hmm. makes yeah. it, then it's all over. So he's doing that. They chase after and we get another brief glimpse from its perspective where it knows they're still coming. It is afraid because not only have these new wounds opened, but all the old wounds have reopened during Mm -hmm. this combat. This is where it realizes that it made that mistake, Ben, Mm -hmm. you were talking about, because it's like, ah, shit. I thought if I just got rid of the writer, it would be good, but now they're all coming after me? What the heck? (laughs) It also realizes for the first time, maybe I'm not eternal. Mm -hmm. It's a bad time to have that thought cross your mind. And uh, like a cornered animal, it turns to fight. That's mm-hmm. the only recourse that it has. And Bill rips its heart open Fucking with his bare hands. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, sque- he squeezes it between his hands. He's just like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they charge after it. And I like they swing at it with their bare fists. And they make a point that it is they are swinging their bare fists, but it, they are not wielding their bare fists. Mm-hmm. They are wielding all of the power from everything that has touched their lives in this journey. And yet the punches are just breaking directly through the skin. And Bill, both of his hands digging through, finds the the heart thumping in his hands and just closes his fists and squeezes it to death. While it is screaming in their minds, Mm -hmm. offering them uh, extended life, extended I can touch you and you can live, not forever, but you could live two, three hundred, maybe five hundred years. Which also makes sense why they had such good lives, too. It can Mm -hmm. make good things and bad things happen. And then after the body of it collapses, Bill hears the voice of the other, Mm -hmm. which we have no idea what that is. Yeah, because that's not the turtle. That's not the turtle. It's it's something from this beyond. Beyond the veil of our universe, there is what in this book they call the macroverse. Mm -hmm. Uh, It refers to as the macroverse. But beyond that is where it lives and where there is this some other force yeah and we somehow shove this into a book about many other things and Mm -hmm. it's still enough to be intriguing but not so vague that you feel like you missed out on something or it should have been longer i know what this voice is the the voice of the white it's the voice of the tower it's gone who Mm creates because gone created he bill says that this voice can't belong to it or the turtle, but he's pretty sure it belongs to who created the two yeah. of them. And that, as we know, is is Gon, who then becomes the physical manifestation of the Dark Tower. Spoiler alert. Whoops. <laughs> but the voice in his head just says, son, you did real good. <laughs> and then immediately the power in them, he feels it just leaving them. In, in the melee, one of the 
legs of the spider through Richie across the room and mm-hmm. he's gone and they're in this pitch black. And so Bill's crawling on his hands and knees, feeling out for him. And he finally feels Richie's face and he thinks Richie's dead and he can't leave him. So he picks him up in his arms and he carries him out. Meanwhile, check the splatter meter because the standpipe has fallen <laughs> and the town A is really, drowning. Really stoned dude watches the standpipe <laughs> fall over. <laughs> And downtown Derry collapses Mm -hmm. into the sewers. And uh, Bill finds Ben in the dark, who says that he has stomped all of the spiders. What a what a guy, Ben. That's like a job. Jeez. When they in Audra's body. Yes. Starts falling mm -hmm. down too. Ben says he stomped a hundred eggs over a hundred eggs, which he almost went insane after two. They Ben yells at Richie and it brings Richie back to consciousness, <laughs> which is great. They make their way back to Bev. They check on Audra, who's alive, but she's catatonic. And Bev says that Bill will know the way out because Bill defeated it. And thank God they don't have to fuck again. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, they already did that. But you know who they do fuck? Eddie, because they have to leave Eddie's oh, body. That's they, so sad. <sighs> carrying him. I'm so glad they carried him out of the lair into mm-hmm. that next room, mm-hmm. at least. But the fact that they had to leave. Yeah. And I was upset until it gets to the point where they have to trade off carrying Audra to get around yeah. so they couldn't well, have. Well, they're much bigger going through these tunnels and yes. they had to crawl through his kids. Yeah. So. But they noticed that after they've gotten out of that door, the mark that they all saw things, that mark is completely gone now. Mm-hmm. We find out that... Of the disaster up top, 67 people were killed and 320 people have been injured in this disaster. Man, that's a really big wasted meal. (laughs) (laughs) The the storm started at 6 o'clock in the morning and it did all that damage in four and a half hours. Because they were only in the tunnels for like four hours, right? As adults. They make their way moving with Audra to the point where they, so they're like, we can see light and we shouldn't be able mm-hmm. to. And they look <laughs> up and they see the sky and half of downtown. Yeah, they find the uh, the marquee of the movie <laughs> <Yeah>. theater. <laughs> Saves them a little bit of a, a yeah. trek. <laughs> they climb out. People who are watching are like, hey, there's people in there. And they get all excited. <laughs> they get Audra into an ambulance. Small side note, but Bill sees the skateboard kid with a paper boat and a oh. slicker and a green slicker playing in, in the rain, which it's I thought was cool. <laughs> and they notice the scars on their hands have vanished. So they know that they're going to be forgetting things again. Yeah. Which is the most tragic part of this ending is, I mean, how much of the ending do we need uh, to cover? Because it really goes back to they they all get out. They slowly return to their lives. Bill stays at Mike's house mm-hmm. while he's in the hospital with Audra, with Audra yeah. because Audra is still catatonic. And Mike thinks there's some, there's still some power here that maybe Bill can use mm-hmm. to bring Audra back. Yeah. Because him and Bill, the ones that still remember that they're, still, they're there. still. Yeah. Mike dairy. even calls Richie later and Richie's like, Man, I I couldn't remember who you were for a moment. He's like, "Yep, it's all it's all gonna go." It had been t- he Richie'd been gone two days mm-hmm. and had already started yeah. to get it, that it's much. It's so tragic that all of this terrible shit has happened to them, and now they are even going to lose each other yeah. again. Except for maybe Ben and Bev. Yeah, 
Uh, because oh no, Josh has a look on his uh-oh. face. I don't even know. Uh, ben ha- invites <laughs> Bev back to Nebraska with him, mm-hmm. and she she says yes. And I choose to believe they live happily ever after, Josh. Yeah, what the fuck are you doing over there, man? So here's the thing. Oh I just want to I want to point out some details. Uh, I wish you wouldn't. So the the call with Richie, where he's already forgotten a little bit. Uh, and that they can't remember whether Eddie had asthma or migraines, mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. It had been two days since he left, but it had been a week since they defeated it mm-hmm. at that point. So after a week, that's where we're at. As we we talked about the adult timeline, the lunch at Jade of the Orient was May 30th, and they went down to fight it on the 31st. So it was just that one day that they were all in town. Mm -hmm. That's where all that adult shit happens. Mm -hmm. And we find out that Mike, Mike had this fear as he was forgetting that he had things written down. Yeah, because he's even forgetting, which didn't happen before. And he thinks that maybe the words will even fade from the pages he's written. And it turns out he's right. Mm. He's looking at the names. He forgets somebody's last name and has to look it up so he could remember. Mm -hmm. And he notices that it's fading away. Mm -hmm. And when he calls Ben, Ben's phone has been disconnected. That implies to me that something happens with Ben and Bev that pulls them apart also. Mm, I disagree. Let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All that's left is is the epilogue. Bill Bill races to beat the devil part two. This... This is so just fucking sad because of what he did to his wife. It's okay. He'll forget. That's oh, also God. true. That's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's right. good it never happened. Guilt-free since 83. Jesus. Okay, so Bill, basically, he's he's taking care of Audra, who cannot take care of herself. Like, literally cannot mm-hmm. go to the bathroom or clean up after herself or uh, feed after herself. After almost a week, she finally starts eating some solid foods. Mm-hmm. But that's that's about it. Yeah. And... Bill has this idea, you know, he Silver never came back into play this mm-hmm. whole time, but it happened for a reason. And now we are going to get to that reason. He pulls Silver out because he realizes the magic is fading. Mm-hmm. This is it's now or never time. He gets Audra on the back of Silver and he gets on and of her own accord, she wraps her arms around his waist very loosely and he can't look at her Mm -hmm. from where he's sitting but he feels it so he takes silver out this is scary because we all know how silver operates (laughs) right (laughs) but he's the right size for silver now and he starts going starts picking up speed and as he starts picking up speed he kind of feels her tightening a little bit because she's either going to respond or she's gonna fly off and die (laughs) like as he's taking turns he's like having to work hard to keep the balance right and he almost, inst- he was like, I shouldn't go to Up Mile Hill because uh, it leads to downtown, which is just a hole. Mm-hmm. And then he realizes Silver's got to go fast. Oh my so God. he Ohio <laughs> Silver away, takes her down Up Mile Hill, and he's weaving around barricades and like <laughs> somehow not dying. And by the time they're in this debris-laden area, Audra has come to, and she's squeezing him for dear life and she's like yelling slow down but she's laughing mm-hmm. as she's doing it and so by the time they've reached this stop she's back I, that's like the only kind thing this book does <laughs> yeah and then it says later bill sometimes almost remembers his childhood and his friends 
as they've moved Ooh. away and moved on. So all of this still exists in all of them, but mm-hmm. I would hope that remember. would be enough to keep Ben and Beverly together. And I agree with you, Ben. I just, yep. God, I just I agree. don't see how it could happen. Let's go to ratings. Well, you forget that Ben has a huge old hog. That's <laughs> yeah, anyway. Shut up, Josh. <laughs> CM, do you want to go first? Sure. Mine's going to be really brief, I think. I'd love to say something poetic and amazing, but this book is so good, I can't possibly follow it up with my own good words. <laughs> so I'm just going to say I enjoyed every moment of this. Top to bottom, it is such a fantastic, well-told, amazing story, and absolutely, hands down, no question, five out of five Blue Chambray shirts. I, anything I say here is going to be a waste of everyone's time. Five out of five Blue Chambray shirts. There was never a question. Like, of course. A book that is over a thousand pages should not be this perfect. <laughs> right. Front to back, and it kept me into it the whole time. Five out of five Blue Chambray shirts. That's it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us for our next episode where we will be covering the original It miniseries. For CM Alexander and Benjamin Graham, I'm Joshua Kahn reminding you, perhaps at the end, when the masks of horror were laid aside, there was nothing with which the human mind could not cope. Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Thank you for listening to It Part 5. We hope you enjoyed it. And once again, this episode is sponsored by Manscaped. So cheers to 2022 and resolutions you can actually keep. How about having clean and shiny balls all year round? Our sponsors at Manscaped are here to save your balls this year and make the ball drop into 2022 the cleanest and sexiest ever. Set your first New Year's resolution with good intentions and join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer, Go to manscaped.com and use code DAIRY for 20% off plus free shipping. Admittedly, I've had a few ball-related misunderstandings on this show, but all jokes aside, I love Manscaped, which in turn means my husband loves Manscaped. Guys, ladies like seeing that a man takes pride in his grooming habits, so use the best tools for the job. Everyone wants to feel sexy, so take your balls by the horn and try the Signature Lawnmower 4.0. You'll feel the difference in confidence when you see the way your partner looks at you. Balls have horn, right? Get 20% off and free shipping with the code DAIRY at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code DAIRY. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.